Well, I've got uh, good news and bad news this morning. The bad news is that the Ebola virus is spreading and we're all going to die. The good news is that those two events aren't necessarily connected. We're all going to die, but not at the moment. At, at the moment, there are plenty of other things that will probably get you before Ebola. And uh, like heart disease and car accidents and good old old age. And then again, Jesus could come back before then. Could come back today or next week or next month. You never know. Jesus could come back and, and you could meet your Maker without going through the formality of dying. If that happens, hopefully you won't feel cheated out of the experience. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we've got this killer virus that's gone viral. I find it interesting how we're always talking about things going viral. You've probably heard on the news of, of you know, videos or music or, or you know, YouTube things or pop songs or, the, or things like this, the ice bucket challenge where people dump a bucket of ice on their heads for a cause that they don't really care about. That's gone viral. And uh, you know, there's always some new trend or some new dance or some new song that's, that we talk about that's gone viral. And every once in a while, you'll hear about um, an actual virus. So we've got a virus that's gone viral. And it's gaining media attention around the world. And, and I'm sure you've all heard something about the Ebola outbreak. Has anybody not heard anything about Ebola? Okay, so you all know what I'm talking about. It's a, Ebola is a type of hemorrhagic fever, which basically causes your organs to start bleeding just at random. And the latest numbers seem to point at a, about a 70% death rate. So it's a nasty virus. You catch it and you're pretty likely to die. Um, and the cause of death is typically a loss of blood pressure because you bleed out so much, you run out of blood, and there's nothing left for your heart to pump, so you die by running out of blood. So it's, it's a nasty way to die, and, uh, and it's probably on the top of most of our lists of ways we would rather not die. And uh, I'd like to avoid it if possible. I'm sure you would too. When I first heard about people, about the virus being brought to the U.S., because Ebola's been around for quite a while, but when I first heard about it coming to our country, I thought about the movie Outbreak, and it's like almost a 20-year-old movie, but it's about a, a virus that comes to the U.S. From, from Africa and starts getting spread, and it's the plot of the movie is about, there's the, the good guy is a doctor, an army doctor, who's trying to solve the, the mystery of where it came from so he can make a cure and stop the spreading of the virus, because they've got a whole town at this point is quarantined, and and everybody's getting sick and dying. Meanwhile, the government, the bad guys, have, they're trying to contain it and to control the, the cure so that they can keep the virus as a weapon so that they can you know, have their soldiers with the, with the inoculation so they don't get killed, but they can kill off other people. So that's this conspiracy in the movie. It's a good movie, but uh, the, uh, they can't, keep it a secret. They can't hold on to it. So it starts spreading around. And, and ironically, I've heard a number of conspiracy theories about the actual Ebola virus. I've heard some people talk about how it's, the government created it as a weapon and other people say that they're hiding the truth about it. They're hiding a cure that they have or they're hiding the fact that, that it's airborne. Or, and, and you know, there's all sorts of stories that people come up with, various conspiracies. And I love a good conspiracy. I don't usually buy into them, but they're enjoyable to listen to. And, I, and I'm sure it doesn't help when the president makes speeches about it. Because we all know what a bastion of truth and leadership that he is. And it seems like anything he talks about goes the wrong way. 
And so when he says, you know, it's, it, we're prepared to handle it, it's never going to cross our borders, and then it crosses our borders. And, and we've got a good system, and it's not going to spread, and then it spreads. And it's just, you know, you worry about that. You just wish he wouldn't talk about it because it's just bad news no matter what he says. But, but at least if you do catch Ebola, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And if you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. <laughs> so you've got that going for you. But uh, I don't think that there are any of the conspiracies are true. I don't think that we've got to worry about some big government plot that they've you know, formed this disease as a weapon to try to kill us. I don't, I don't think that's happening. I do think that there are government officials trying to prevent panic because nobody wants a panic. If, if you remember... You know, once the public finds out about something bad that's happening, everybody goes crazy. If you remember back all the way in the Y2K scare, remember when there was that computer glitch and people were emptying store shelves and they were building bunkers and you know, all sorts of drastic measures because something might go wrong with computers. And now we've got a real virus that can kill you. And so if, if the news gets spread the wrong way, you know, it's going to be a mess and people are going to be causing riots and burning down buildings. I mean, we saw what happened when a kid got shot by a cop and the, before the case ever came out. There were people burning down buildings. and So when the public gets a hold of bad news, things go bad. Especially, you know, so many people live on this diet of zombie movies these days. We've got zombie TV shows and zombie movies where you catch something that turns you into a monster and they spread it around everybody else. And So, you know, they've got that mentality of we've got to bunker ourselves down and, and things just... So I can understand the government trying to keep bad news from spreading and wanting to prevent panic and trying to talk about things like, yes, we've got it all under control, even if we don't have it under control. But you still wish that they would be more honest about it. But uh, we have, there have been some problems. I don't think they're major problems, but there have been some issues. As much as the talking heads have said it would never reach the U.S., it reached the U.S. A guy came over from Liberia and he had Ebola and and they said that we've got it under control, it won't spread, it's not going to get out, and a couple of the healthcare workers who were taking care of him, they caught it in spite of the, the preventative measures that they took. And, and I don't think it's a conspiracy, I just think that it's a, that's what happens when you put bureaucratic politicians in charge of a healthcare problem. And, and for example, you know, Obama is appointing an Ebola Tsar, which just seems weird to me. Why do you need to appoint a Tsar We've got enough government programs that we're paying taxes for. But, but the, what's really odd about it is that he, the guy that he appointed is not a, a doctor. He's not a healthcare expert at all. He's, an, an, a, he's a finance guy. He's a pol- political finance expert who knows nothing about Ebola. So you wonder why in the world is... But, you know, that's just the way politicians think. We'll get one of our friends who helped us get our job and we'll give them some money and, and they'll be in charge of another government program and we'll pay the taxes for it but but when you put people in charge when you put people who have no business being in charge of a medical program in charge of a medical program you're going to have problems you should expect it and it's the same kind of thinking that the president used in sending 3,000 military troops to Africa to fight Ebola as if machine guns and mortars could stop a virus I don't know what the thinking is going on there um, sometimes the logic of Washington is kind of stunning. And that makes you worry. I mean, it worries me that we've got these people who, who don't really care so much about medicine as they do about politics, and they're making decisions because of politics. And, and so that makes you scared a little bit. 
But because of all this ineptitude, there have been some mistakes. And thankfully so far, they've been comparatively small mistakes. I mean, it's a deadly mistake because people have this, you know, catch a disease that can kill them and people have died. I mean, lots of people are dying overseas, but there have been people who have been seriously affected over here too. And, and those healthcare workers that were infected, they, you know, travel around, they contacted other people. So now it's kind of this containment issue where people are, they're trying to get in touch with everybody that they might have come in contact with and make sure everybody's isolated and, and just in case they don't have it, we want to quarantine and, and make sure that there's not an outbreak and it turns into an even bigger mess. So we've got a small mess um, here. And, and because of that mess, a lot of people are scared. And they've closed down schools and they've closed down some train stations and they've done some various things that we've had to you know, kind of stop our daily lives in various places. And, and it's affected the stock market. You've probably seen how stocks took a plunge and, and we were due for a crea- uh, correction in the market. You know, when you... When you inflate bubbles, when you're, you know, these days, since our money isn't really backed up by anything, you know, there's no gold or silver behind the dollar. It's just a, a fiat currency that we make up and pretend that it's worth something. So you've got to expect that there's going to be times when the market just tumbles because there's nothing behind it. But what makes it even worse is that even when things happen that have nothing to do with the day-to-day running of corporations, when there's bad news hits, people get scared and they start selling and Stock markets lose money, and so we've seen that. I'm sure that the Ebola news certainly didn't help with the fragility of the markets, and so it took a real tumble. The markets have lost about half what they made in the last year in a very short time, and so that's kind of scary, and people worry about that. On the bright side, the price of oil is down, which you know makes it nicer at the pump. You don't have to pay so much to fill your gas tank, and and. I don't know if this is, this might be a good conspiracy. Have you ever noticed that the price of gas always seems to go down right before an election? I think that, I don't know, I'm surprised I haven't heard more about that in the, in the news, that people talking about politicians manipulating gas prices to try and keep people happy to reelect them. But anyway, um, gas is going down, and that's due to several things, the, you know, a little bit to the market, but also because we're, we're digging up oil in our own country. We've got the, the shale oil, huge shale oil fields and now we've kind of mastered this fracking technique and and in spite of the fact that a lot of places don't want it you know the governments are trying to prevent that from spreading around we are getting quite a bit of oil and natural gas we've got a huge natural gas supply in our country and so we're starting to really pump out some some fuel in our own country and since we're such gas hungry people in this country that's made a difference in the gas prices and uh and one thing that that's good for us is that it hurts ISIS. You know, the Islamic State terrorists, they get a lot of their money by basically stealing, taking over stuff in the Middle East. And if Middle East oil prices are down, they're not going to have, I mean, there's some real opulent living going on in these oil countries. Saudi Arabia, I mean, rich people are very rich and they're spending money like they, because they can. And if they are losing money, because oil prices are going down, then they don't have as much free money to you know, let go out to various terrorist organizations. So low oil prices are, are good for us, not only that we pay less of the gas, but because terrorist groups get less money to do their terrorism with. But anyway, um, that's one good thing with the market down. But uh, the fact that Ebola has entered the country 
in spite of all the talk about how unlikely it was, and the fact that it spread to other people in spite of the assurances that that wouldn't happen, has all got people scared. And the market being down has got people scared. And, and you know, there's always some new thing in the news that you hear about that gets people scared. And, and the last thing that the people in charge want is another reminder of how many failures and broken promises that we've had to endure because especially right before an election because they want people happy they want people to reelect them they don't want unhappy people and we've just got one bad news after another for the past several years and now we've got this Ebola thing and it's just it's it's not good news for the people who are running things right before an election and and they kind of would like to just keep the lid on things until November 4th passes and then we can talk about bad news and deal with all the bad stuff and and hold on to their power for a little bit longer. They're doing the same kind of thing with Obamacare. If you notice that last year you could enroll, they had open enrollment in October. This year you don't get to enroll until after elections are over. Which that kind of worries me that, you know, does that mean that premiums are going to be even higher and they just don't want us to know about it until after the election? So there's all sorts of things that have people worried and that stress people out and have people scared. And why am I bringing all this up and what does this have to do with us here at church? Well, I've heard people, some people ask, is Ebola a curse from God? Is God punishing us? You know, is this a judgment? You know, considering the moral decay of our nation that we've talked about plenty of times, has God sent a plague on the U.S. because of our sins as a nation? D. James Kennedy once shared a great line in a, mess, in a message. He said, if God doesn't soon bring judgment upon America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Which is a great line, and, and there's probably some truth about that. So people are asking, are we just getting our just desserts? You know, are people starting to die over here because we deserve it? And the same thing has been asked about so many other of our societal problems. You know, they've asked if AIDS was a curse on us because of homosexual homosexual, you know, spreading around the, the country. Is that a curse on, on them and on us? Is is Hurricane Katrina a judgment against the licentiousness of New Orleans and other places that have been hurt by hurricanes? Is it, do they deserve that? Is it their fault because they were doing things and they asked for it? Are, are tornadoes a judgment against trailer homes? You know, there's, you pick your disaster and somebody's asking, is this God's curse against those people that it happened to? And they'll be wondering if the victims who died deserved it. And you know, it's earthquakes and droughts and tsunamis and bad economies and cancer and heart disease and you know all those problems and on the one hand you could say that they were all part of a curse one a curse that goes all the way back to genesis and i'll read this out of genesis chapter 3 you know the, the the one rule that god laid down for adam and eve not to eat the fruit from the tree of good and evil knowledge of good and evil and and we get to chapter 3 and he's eaten it and Eve is, both of them have eaten it and God comes to the garden and he finds them and he says, this is verse 11 in chapter 3, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me some fruit. He blamed it on his wife and gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman replied, the serpent tricked me and I ate. We love passing the buck. And that's what, but they did. They ate it. And God caught them in it. And, and because of that, if you remember, God told Adam not to do it because he would die. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. But Adam ate it anyway. He believed the serpent over God. And so there were consequences as a result of that sin. 
And he didn't have to die that day because God made atonement for him. God killed an animal and he dressed Adam and Eve with the skin of that animal and covered their nakedness with animal skins the same way he covers our sins by his own shed blood. And, but we, we have all had to live with the curses that came because of that sin. And I don't know, I don't really have any problem with serpents not having legs. I think serpents having legs would be even more creepy. So I'm okay with that part of the curse, but I'm sure that just about every mom out there would be happy if we didn't have the curse of labor pains. And I, and I know just about every farmer, anybody who's ever worked the ground to try to get something to grow out of it, would be happy if we didn't have to deal with thorns and thistles and, and by the sweat of our brow, earn our living. It would be nice if the world just kind of took good care of us and provided everything we need, but it doesn't do that. And I'm sure that if you've heard about the genetically modified organisms where they're changing food stuff to be able to be weed resistant so that they can pump their weed killers on it without killing the plant and they do all this genetic modification and people are upset because they don't want to be eating genetically modified food because nobody really knows how it affects our bodies. Well, we wouldn't have that problem if it wasn't for the curse because there would be no weeds and there would be no thistles and the fruits and vegetables would grow without that kind of stuff and you wouldn't have to worry about genetically or modifying it. So all this kind of stuff that we deal with it stems back from that original curse because death entered the world because of sin. Most of all, if it weren't for that sin, there would be no death. I mean, imagine if Adam and Eve had not eaten the fruit and none of their descendants had eaten the fruit and we all lived according to the way God called us to live, nobody would die. Nothing would die. All the animals, we'd be, we'd be alive and well and happy and well-fed and comfortable. When in Romans 5.12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. And so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So this problem has just been perpetuated down through the ages. People keep sinning and people keep dying. So this curse of Adam lives on and people keep dying because people keep sinning. And you could say that the whole world feels the burden of death on it. That all of creation feels the burden of this curse. Romans 8.20 says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So it's like all of creation feels the burden of death and suffering. You know, lots of people have asked, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? It's because of sin. And the whole universe feels it. All of God's creation feels this burden of death and suffering. And it knows it's not, this is not the way we're supposed to live. This is not right. And it's because of sin in the world. And people keep sinning and people keep dying. And I think that even natural disasters, tornadoes and floods and tsunamis and earthquakes, I think all of that is ultimately tied to sin. If you go back to Noah's flood, the world was covered with sin. And so God struck the earth and He broke the fountains of the deep open and rained for 40 days and 40 nights and flooded the entire planet. The entire topography of the globe was messed up and shifted around and nothing was the same. Continental plates broke apart and moved around and the whole world was changed. And since then, the entire planet has been groaning under the pressure of a messed up system. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I mean, we've still got good things left over. There's a lot of beauty left in the world, but there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of... The world is not right because of that flood. It messed up everything. And so we still feel the results, and that was because of sin, that the whole world was struck. And so we still feel the results 
of a messed up world because of sin. Um, and, and, so, and a lot of times when bad things happen, whether it's storms or sicknesses or disease or whatever, we'll talk about innocent people who died. You know, a lot of innocent people died in the, in the Twin Tower bombings. A lot of innocent people died in tornadoes. And innocent people died in tsunamis and, and that kind of stuff. Whether it's a, a terrorist attack or a natural disaster or a car accident or cancer or whatever, we, we talk about the innocents who are harmed. But then I, I always think, how many truly innocent people were there in that situation? How many truly innocent people are there in the world? Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. For all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know, besides little children who have never had the chance to sin, I'd say it's pretty safe to say that it's hard to find a truly innocent person in the world. That you look around and you, it's hard to find someone who hasn't chosen to sin against God in some way. And that's not to say that everybody who, who dies does so because of some specific sin. Just because you were in an earthquake or tornado or a terrorist attack doesn't mean that God killed you because of a specific sin, you know, and that's why He sent that problem. But everybody who dies, as everybody dies as an ultimate result of sin in the world. If it wasn't for sin in the world, nobody would die. Most of you know how Jenna and I lost our first child due to a miscarriage. And that little unborn baby obviously never had the chance to do anything evil or wrong or turn his, his or her back on God. So God didn't curse that tiny baby because it had sinned. But we do know that every person who has died, including the innocents, have lost their life because sin is in the world. Because of sin, there's sickness and disease. Because of sin, our genetic makeup has been messed up. Because of sin, the whole world has been messed up. Because of sin, people die. And sinful people hurt those around them. Sinful people cause problems to non-sinful people. I mean, and so, what does this all have to do with Ebola? Well, first of all, you should know that there's, there are only a handful of people with Ebola in our country. It's a small, small, small number. So it's, it's hardly a plague upon our nation. So you don't have to worry about that. God is, has not sent a plague. At least not yet. Um, second, if God wanted to show the world how He feels about sin and send a judgment or a curse or whatever, you wouldn't think that He would start by infecting medical missionaries. I mean, if, if, if you wanted to teach the world a lesson, wouldn't you start by wiping out those who are blatantly wicked to start with? I mean, if anybody deserves a little fire and brimstone... Why don't we see you know, Hollywood sucked down in the earth? Or Washington, D.C.? You know, those kinds of things. Or, or you know, this Houston, Texas, the problem with the mayor calling out, you know, trying to get the, the sermons from the pastors because she's the first openly homosexual mayor. You know, why don't we see curses on that kind of stuff? And it, it's, you know, in the Bible, when God sends a curse, it's for a specific person or a group of people. And it's for a specific reason. And he always announces it. I'm going to send this problem against you. You know, the ten plagues of Egypt. There were some curses. There were some plagues. And he sent them to specific people for specific reasons. And, you know, even small groups like Ananias and Sapphira. He knocked them dead in church because they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And every single curse and every single plague came because of a specific reason and, uh, and uh, to a specific people or a specific group. Even the bowls of wrath and revelation. 
They're sent for a reason. God doesn't just randomly send out sicknesses or tornadoes or earthquakes or whatever. God does things for a reason. And, and this is our Scripture for today. Revelation chapter 15 says, Then I saw another great and astounding sign in the heaven. Seven angels who have seven final plagues. And they are final because in them God's anger is completed. And then I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had conquered the beast and His image and the number of His name. And they were standing by the sea of glass holding harps given to them by God. And they sang the song of Moses the servant and of God and the song of the Lamb. Great and astounding are Your deeds, Lord God. The all-powerful, just and true are Your ways. King over the nations, who will not fear You, O Lord, and glorify Your name? Because You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before You for Your righteous acts have been revealed. You know, there's going to come a day when we're going to see real plagues on this planet again. I mean, we've had a few plagues that wipe out civilizations. It's happened in Europe, it's happened in America, it's happened in South America, and we know about that. There's going to come a day when, when the plagues that we deal with will be far worse than this little tiny Ebola problem we're going through right now. Um, try imagine, if you, think, if you thought, you know, people getting Ebola in our country and possibly spreading it to others, if you thought that was scary... Try imagining one-third of the world dying from disease and starvation and various disasters. And yet, even in that destruction, as we read in this Scripture, even as that happens, it's going to reveal the glory of God because God is he's biding His time. He said, I'm giving you a chance to repent. I don't want anybody to die. I want everybody to have a chance to repent and come to know Me. And there's going to come a day when He's had all he can stand and he can't stand anymore. And he's going to say, that's it. I've given you more than enough chance. This is the end. And the judgment will come. And destruction will come. And disease and famine and bloodshed will come. And it's going to be terrible. But the good news is that God is going to use it to finally put an end to all evil. You know, People talk, why is God so powerful? Why is there evil in the world? Well, because He's given us a chance to repent. But there's going to come a day when He no longer allows it. And He's going to say, that's it. There is the end. And in the meantime, people continue to die because the world continues to be filled with sinful people. And God's given us the chance, but those sinful people still are doing sinful things. But, but here's the, the, the twist. It's not our job to worry about why they die. Why we die. Those sicknesses that we have. It's our job to repent and believe. And, and then to help others to prepare for death by preaching the Gospel so that when it comes time for them to die, they don't have to worry about what's going to happen. And we, in Luke chapter 13, it starts out like this. It says, About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. Do you think those Galileans, Jesus says, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So it's, it's not our business to figure to try to say that these people are cursed or those people are cursed and God's sending these judgments on them. It's our job to repent and believe and try to convince the people around us to repent and believe because we're all going to die. And we're all going to perish unless we repent 
and believe. And that brings us right back to the first person who came to the U.S. with the Ebola virus. His name was Dr. Kent Brantley, and he's an American who, who is a medical missionary, and he made news because he came, he went to Liberia, and he was working with the Ebola victims, and he contracted the disease. And they thought that it would be easier, it would be better if they brought him back here to treat him than to try to treat him over there because we've got better medical facilities. And so the decision was made, I don't know who made it, but somebody did, to transport him back here and take care of him. And then, and when that news hit, there was all sorts of commentary about we shouldn't be bringing him over here or people were scared that the disease was going to spread to other Americans. And, and I thought it was kind of ironic that while we're all scared the disease is going to spread here, this guy has gone and placed himself in the midst of the disease where, the, you know, where it's killing thousands of people to try to serve the Lord and to try to treat this people with this sickness. And I, I listened to a sermon that he gave before he ever left the country. And you can, I can, you can find it online. But uh, he talked about how he went through medical school. You know, he did his, his college training and went through his medical training and did all of it because he wanted to serve God as a medical missionary. He wanted to dedicate his life and his skill and his knowledge to serving the Lord. He didn't actually plan to go to Africa. He didn't really you know, want, have dreams about going to Africa, but he wanted to serve the Lord, and he felt that that's where God was telling him he needed to go serve. And so he went in the midst of this terrible disease because God sent him. And uh, you know, most doctors, you know, a lot of doctors these days, they spend a lot of time and a lot of money going through school because they expect to get good doctoring jobs and be able to to make, you know, make big money, and, and they usually do. They usually do pretty well for themselves because medicine is a good practice to be in if you want to make a good living. But this guy apparently went through all that schooling and spent all that time and all that money and, and all that trouble with the intention of just going wherever God sent him and living in whatever environment God brought him to. And it really didn't matter if it was a lot of money or no. It didn't matter if it was you know, living in a mud hut or, or what have you. And so he said, I'm going to go. That's a different kind of life. That's the kind of life that, you know, when God transforms you, that's the kind of life that he gets out of people who are truly transformed. You know, most of us are nice and comfortable here back home. You know, we're, we have it easy. We live in, we have climate-controlled homes. We have safe, clean drinking water. We have so much safe, clean water that we will stand in a shower of it and just let it wash over our bodies and run down the drain. Water that could save the lives of people around the world who don't have safe, clean drinking water. We wash the dirt off of ourselves with it and let it just go out in the sewer. We don't even know or care what happens to it after that. I mean, we have, it's a great benefit that we have. It's a huge blessing that we have this nice, clean water. And, and you know, we have enough electricity available to us 24 hours a day to have homes filled with gadgets and utilities that run on electricity and we never have to worry about it going out unless there's a really bad storm. But it's, you know, it's, we're, we're used to it, just always having the electricity on. We can watch TV or listen to the radio or play on our computers or run our washer and dryer or our vacuum cleaners or you know, all the gadgets, the cell phones and iPads and all that stuff. When we have grocery and convenience stores within probably within a few minutes of anywhere you go, you've got a store where you can go and get food if you want it. And, and we have cars and mass transit that take us wherever we want to go. I mean, we are surrounded by safety and convenience. It's not a bad, it's a blessing. We've got so much safety and convenience. It's awesome. And in the midst of that, we fear a virus coming in and interrupting our lives of convenience. 
We fear a virus coming in and taking away our safety. We worry about these little things. We worry about the economy. We worry about terrorist attacks. We worry about all these things coming in and interrupting our safety and our comfort. But there's a marked difference between the church today and the early church. When there was a plague in Rome, the Rome that was killing Christians and feeding them to the lions and setting them on fire and doing terrible things, when there was a plague and everybody else in the city fled the city, everybody who could afford it, the Christians stayed. And the Christians took care of the sick. And the Christians watched over those who were suffering. And you know what God did because of that? He transformed lives. And people were saved. And, and people were saved for eternity. Not just served in their sickness, but, but lives were, souls were saved. <clears throat> because Christians were willing to, to stay in the world where there was sickness and disease and suffering and to serve the worst of the worst and the least of the least and to take care of people. And God used it to transform lives. Today, the church in America is just, we're staying comfortable and we're staying safe. We like this bubble around us where we don't have to interact with people and we don't have to go where it's dangerous or talk to people and, and get uncomfortable and those kinds of things. You can probably guess where I'm going with this. The question I think we ought to be asking is how can we serve the Lord in light of this deadly pathogen and all the other problems in our world? Are you just going to sit in your house and be afraid? of the various problems that we're surrounded with, or are you going to go work to spread the Gospel? Are you going to accept the call that Jesus Christ Himself has said to go and make disciples and transform the world? <clears throat> I mean, obviously our government ought to be at work protecting us. They ought to keep this virus from spreading here. I don't know why the President hasn't stopped the flights from coming in. It just seems... It's, 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 it, I don't know. I don't understand. It seems either incompetent or evil or some combination of the both. But, but you know, really, that, none of that matters as much as our mission should matter. Nothing that the government is doing should matter as much as our mission should matter. We shouldn't be so afraid of a virus that can kill the body. What we should be afraid of is God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's what the Bible says, right? Don't fear the things of man. We are called by Jesus Christ Himself to preach the good news, to spread the Gospel, whether the time is favorable or not. We're supposed to live in the world. And amongst all these problems and viruses and terrorist attacks and and healthcare problems and financial problems. We're living in this world of sin and death and disease and sickness and suffering. But we're not to be of the world, scared of everything. Our priority should not be seeking the most comfortable and safe life that we can. Our priority ought to be treating this world like it's a train station or an airport where we're just here for a little bit and we're trying to do as much good as we can to get as many people on board the train to heaven as we possibly can because that's where we want everybody to go. We ought to be willing to make sacrifices in order to save souls. 2 Corinthians 5 at verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised. So then, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. Even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view, now we do not know Him in that way any longer. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And all these things that are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's trespasses 
against them. And He's given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making His plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. In the midst of all the bad things that are happening in the world and the world not liking Jesus and hating Jesus and hating Christians who belong to Jesus and people trying to kill us and diseases killing us and old age getting us, in the midst of all that, we are called to tell people to be reconciled to God. To, to be transformed by His grace and His loving power. And to, and to go out and let the world see that we're different. Like John said, the, the world ought to see you as different from it because of the way you live, because of the things that you talk about. The doctor, that, that doctor, Dr. Brantley, went into a disease-ridden world to serve the Lord. And he caught a deadly virus because of it. He caught Ebola because he went to serve the Lord. But if he had never caught Ebola, we would probably never have heard of him. So I think this is a great example of how God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Because now we do know about this guy who went and almost literally sacrificed his life to serve the least of the least. God made use of a terrible disease to teach the world a lesson in compassion and kindness. And that's what I think we ought to see from this guy. I think Dr. Brantley can be a great example of courage and faith to us. To not be afraid of the things in this world that can harm us and kill us and cause us to suffer. You, you don't have to become a doctor to serve God. You, you don't have to go to Liberia. You just have to go out and start spreading the good news like you're called to do. To start reconciling the world to God. And if you start moving, if you step out of your comfort zone, if you step out of that bubble that we're living in and start preaching and start t having uncomfortable conversations and start reaching out to those who, who aren't necessarily the ones that you would normally reach out to, if you start moving, God will use you. It's hard to steer a parked car. You ever tried to turn the wheel of a car that's not moving? It's real difficult. But you get that car moving and you can do it with one finger. God wants us moving so that He can use us. We're all going to die eventually. How are you going to spend the time you have left? What kind of report is your life going to be to God when we all stand before Him and have to give an account of the things that we've done? How we've used the talents that He's given us? Today is the day of salvation. So let's go share that salvation. How can you be in the world and not of it and work to save a life today? How can you help the Gospel of Jesus Christ go viral? Let's think on that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much that You were willing to give everything to save us. The same way this doctor was willing to put his life on the line to go serve those who didn't necessarily deserve it. Those who he didn't know. Those who didn't love him. He went to serve anyway. In the same way You came and You served us. And while we were yet sinners, You died for us. and We didn't deserve it. And we didn't love You. And we hated You, but You turned our lives around. God, I thank You for transforming our lives. I thank You for making a difference in us. And I pray that You would help us to make a difference in others. That we could truly live as new creations. To reach out to those who we haven't reached out to before. To, to go places where we haven't gone before. To do what we haven't done before because You're calling us to it. Because You're telling us that the world needs to be... That You want the world... You want the whole world saved. You don't want anybody to die. We want everybody to be able to repent and have new life. God, help us to see that truth 
and to live it out. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.